Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Yes, uh, dad jokes, uh, just, just group confession, right? Dads, raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Come on, dads. Uh, be absolved in the name of the... Yeah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> All right. uh, I think the staff wanted to show that video mainly because they're hoping that that'll make my lame dad jokes not be quite so lame. But we are so glad to celebrate Father's Day with you. Uh, dads, we're glad you're here. Uh, you know, one, we say this every Mother's Day and Father's Day, but you know, we, the truth is we all have a father, don't we? Uh, and that father might have been a great dad, might have been a not-so-great dad. Uh, maybe it was an absent dad, or maybe it was a gr- just amazing dad. Um, but we all have fathers. And, and what that tells us, what that reminds us of, is just how influential dads are in our lives, right? Uh, hugely influential. And so dads, if you're here and you're a dad, uh, I hope you, one, feel honored, but two, feel that friendly charge, just one dad to another. Let, let's, let's, let's be the kind of dads that we're called to be, right? It's a hugely important role that you play in your children's life. And we pray God will bless you and strengthen you for that calling. Hope you get a chance today to reach out to your dad, uh, whether he was a great dad or just a so-so dad, and honor him. Well, uh, we are starting a new series. Now, before we do that, I need to do a little bit of family business. And I messed this up in the first service, so I'm going to remember to do it right now. Um, uh, Two things, just quickly. uh, So thankful. for uh, just just the, God's faithfulness to us as a church. Uh, many of you will know this, but years ago, three years ago, we started praying for land, uh, for a permanent location for us here at Westlake, and God led us so graciously to the uh, purchase of, of a property right over on uh, St. James Road, uh, near St. James of Kidville, right on New 16 there. And uh, we're, we're moving. Most of you know about that. Uh, you can learn more about that at the info table if you like. Our sibling church, our Lake Forest Davidson Church, has been praying for years. They've been meeting in Davidson Elementary, uh, and they uh, do set up just like we do. And they've been praying and praying and praying that God would give them opportunity. And there is now on the table an opportunity for them to purchase uh, a couple acres uh, right in the uh, downtown Davidson area. And um, they are the, the elders and the leadership of, of Lake Forest Davidson said, yes, we think God's in this. Um, there's so, a lot of details to work out still. Um, but as is our church polity, our church governance, this is one of those things that we as a church body vote on, the purchase of land. And so if you are a ministry partner, that is, you have taken the Welcome 101 class and made that covenant commitment with us to say, this is my church, I'm locking arms with these folks. If that's you, whether you did that in Huntersville, Davidson, or here at Westlake, uh, we now today have the opportunity, opportunity to cast a ballot uh, just to affirm uh, that decision and step that our Davidson ministry partners are taking. They voted last week, and by the way, they voted overwhelmingly in favor of this. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, I think it was a 189 to 3 or something like that. And uh, we today have the opportunity to cast our ballots, ministry partners, uh, in support uh, of that uh, or, or not. If you have concerns about that, you're welcome to do that as well. The ushers are going to come and hand out ballots. So if you're a ministry partner, just kind of pop your hand up. Um, um, and there is one per ministry partner. So this is not one per family. So husbands, wives, you both get to cast ballots on this. So if you'll just take that, and by the way, if you're not a ministry partner, you don't need to be embarrassed about that or anything, uh, and you're interested in becoming one, uh, that's what our Welcome 101 class is all about. And uh, you can check the box 
on that little connection card, and we can get you more info on that if you're interested in taking that step. While that's coming, let me also do the second part of this. Um, a little bit later on the service, we will have a blue jean pocket that's going to come around, um, and that'll be our op- opportunity to cast our ballots in, but that's also an opportunity to give. And I just want to say thank you to those of you who have been faithful in giving. Um, that chicken coop project is not just a time, don't think little chicken coop. We're actually building a chicken farm inside the orphanage compound in Haiti. And this will be a place where the orphans there will be able to learn chicken farming skills. They're also looking to do one of those, I think it's called a, a closed circuit or something, where they actually will have tilapia growing in water underneath some of the chicken structures. So it's a full-service farm that's going to be providing eggs and protein to the orphans, especially right now in Haiti where it is difficult to get even basic resources like beans and rice. A real pivotal time. That project in total is a $6,000 investment that we as Westlake uh, are making. Uh, and the kids have gone first and, uh, and raised on nearly $1,000. Just amazing. Um, but I want you to know that the other $5,000 comes out of your mission monies that you give uh, every week or every month. Uh, we set aside 10% of every dollar that comes in to invest beyond our church in projects like this in Haiti. So for those of you who uh, make that a regular part uh, of your spiritual practices, thank you for your faithfulness to that. Okay, enough church business. Shall we get on to the sermon series? We are starting a brand new series today called superlatives, and it's all about uh, these characters, these Old Testament characters that all show up in the same chapter in a New Testament book of the Bible known as the Letter to the Hebrews. The Letters to the Hebrews is, uh, some of you will know just as Hebrews, or the book of Hebrews, um, was a letter written in, first cent- in the first century to a group of Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem. Now, you and I can scarcely imagine what life would have been like as a Jewish Christian in the first century, but let me just kind of paint the picture. So, remember, Jerusalem was the capital, the hub of all the Jewish activity in the ancient world. And uh, thousands and thousands of Jews were living there, and then along had come this Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And Jesus had gathered quite the following after him, and uh, he had been crucified, uh, and he was laid in a tomb, and then three days later he was raised from the dead. And many of these Jews uh, actually spoke. There were literally hundreds of people, eyewitnesses, who saw him after that resurrection. And what birthed out of that was this movement, this Jesus movement that became known as the way, the way of Jesus. And most, the vast majority uh, of these early followers were Jews who had become Jesus followers. And, And this was just spreading like wildfire. Now, this was not popular in Jerusalem by any stretch of the imagination. And most of these uh, early believers, these early Christians, suffered quite uh, foul treatment for their faith in Jesus. Uh, some of them, you, weren't, you, know, you might just be excluded from the office party. Others of them, they, they lost businesses or business contacts. Uh, some were ostracized from their families. Some were beaten and imprisoned. Some even were killed for their faith in Jesus. You get a little bit of a feel for what life was like for these early Jewish Christians. And so the letter... Uh, to the Hebrews is actually a sermon in written form that was written by a preacher to encourage these first century Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. That's the background of this letter. Now, uh, this letter is really asking the question, uh, what do we do, what do we need to do as followers of Jesus in this kind of context if we are going to cling to our faith, if we are not going to lose our faith? What is it going to 
take if we're going to make it. And uh, so the, the summary point of this, how should we live, what are we to hold on to, is best captured by the what I call the patron saint uh, of the Hebrews, uh, the great 20th century theologian George Michael, who said this, you've got to have faith, a faith, a faith, right? Sorry, that was, that was the dad joke for the day. That wasn't even that good, was it? That was just, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, yeah, uh, but you see, what Hebrews is all about, it says, look, in this kind of context, life is going to be hard. Fondue is going to be tough. But here's the one thing that's going to sustain you. It's going to be faith. And a faith that does not quit. Listen to how the, apostle, uh, excuse me, the uh, preacher writes this in chap, at the end of chapter 10. says this, So, in light of all of this, in light of all we've been talking about Jesus as your priest, who has done for you what you could not do for yourself, in light of all of that, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come again and not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we, we, followers of Jesus, do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have what? faith and are saved. So the real question of this series we're asking is, what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to have faith? Or as the preacher in Hebrews is going to say, what does it mean to live by faith? Now, I don't know about you, but when that word faith comes up in our culture, you know, we, we tend to think of kind of a mindset or maybe, maybe some doctrines or, or, or maybe it's just a way, you know, kind of a way we approach stuff. Uh, some of us actually grew up where, where faith meant like the opposite of thinking, right? Like, like if you had questions or doubts or things you were curious, you, you set those aside and you kind of plugged your ears, closed your eyes. That's what it meant to have faith, right? Just kind of pretend that you didn't have any doubts or questions. Others of us grew up thinking that, that to have faith was somehow like this, this uh, you know, just blind leap. We didn't really know what the future held, and so we were just supposed to kind of step off the cliff. Super Mario fans out there? Super Mario fans? We like that one? That's my 40-year-old dad grab for the day. Uh, others of us, others of us grew up in religious homes where faith meant you kind of flexed your muscles, right? Like, I'm going to faith, I'm going to... And this was the thinking, it meant, you know, if you could faith enough, if you could build up enough faith, or maybe if you could gather enough people in your house who had enough faith, then you could kind of like get God in a half Nelson and force God to do what he doesn't want to do, you know, that kind of idea. And maybe, you know, someone in your family was facing something really hard or a medical condition and, and you gathered and people from the church came to your house and maybe you were even important enough and the pastor showed up. And then they're all there and they're praying, right? And they're praying, they're praying bold prayers and they're praying loud prayers and they're praying strong prayers and God didn't answer. And then what do you do? If, does that mean that I didn't faith enough? That I didn't have enough faith? So we can get really confused on what this whole notion of faith is all about. Well, that's what this series is going to be. And each week we're going to look at a different character from this chapter 11 of Hebrews. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is known as the Hall of Faith. Bad dad joke right there, right? Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith. Okay, you get it. Hall of Faith. These are folks who the the preacher in Hebrews thinks that we have something to learn about faith from their life story. 
And each week we're going to look at a different life and see what we can learn. But today, today I want to just lay the foundation. I want to try to wrestle with this question in its most basic form. What is faith? And today to do that, I want to start by doing something we've never done. This is going to be a little bit stretching for some of us. I want us to start by listening to chapter 11 of Hebrews read out loud in its entirety. So I've asked Elaine Hill to come and read for us. And this will be a bit stretching for some of us, but I think it'll be really, really cool as well. Uh, Chapter 11 is the climax of the preacher's sermon. And you know how we preachers get. We can kind of get sing-songy at some point. And he's starting to get a rhythm. And he's starting to get fired up. And that's what chapter 11 is all about. And you're going to notice some patterns here. And I just want you to listen. You can close your eyes and listen to these words. Or you can follow along on the screen. But as we hear this read aloud, it's going to take about four or five minutes. As we hear this read aloud, I just want you to ask this question to yourself. What is faith? What does the writer of Hebrews want us to understand about living a life by faith. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as one of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prophet Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you. Pretty powerful sermon, isn't it? Can you imagine being a first century Jewish follower of Jesus and hearing those words? How would you have felt? What would you have thought? 
Well, at the time that we have, just the next few minutes, I just want to try to lay out a brief foundation to this question, what is faith? What is faith? Did you catch how often it was mentioned? Every other sentence, right? What is the author of Hebrews talking about? Well, I want to, I've already started with a few things faith is not. Faith is not the opposite of thinking, right? We don't leave our brains at the door. Faith is not a blind leap. We don't just close our eyes. Jump. Uh, and faith is not some kind of secret power or force that I can manipulate God with. So what is faith? Well, it turns out the author of Hebrews right here in the very first verse is going to make it crystal clear. Look at what the author says. Now faith is, here's the definition, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Or, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Or, faith is the assurance of things we hope for and the conviction of things not seen. So which one is it? Well, welcome to the wonderful, exciting world of Bible translation, right? Bible translators can't quite agree on the precise word because this is inherent to the nature of Bible translation. There is not a clear one-to-one word choice in this particular situation. Now, this isn't anything new. You guys are familiar with this. Um, many of you have either speak two languages or, or you, you learned a second language in school, and you remember sometimes there's just a word that's really hard to translate. Now, this doesn't trouble Christians. Christians believe that the Scriptures are divinely inspired by God's Spirit, but they are also written with human hand and in a human language. And with that come a few little limitations. So in this case, the word that is translated here as substance or confidence is actually the simple Greek word hypostasis, hypostasis. Now, I don't want to camp out on this for too long. It's not a huge point. I just want to use it to make this little illustration. Because this word hypostasis can be translated as substance or as confidence. We might think of it as a substantive competence or a confidency substance. How's that one? You like that one? That's very technical. What is the point here? Well, this word really is a kind of foretaste. It's experiencing the reality of the thing in a little bit of a way that gives us confidence that its fullness will one day come. Let me see if I can illustrate this to you because this is a little bit of a up-in-the-clouds concept. Uh, first example is this. When I was in college, I had a roommate. And uh, this roommate, before praying for the meal, we'd sit down at the table, before praying for the meal, he would actually take a couple bites of, of a little bit of everything on his plate. And I remember watching him do this, and I was like, dude, like, my my mom told me don't do that. Like, that's rude, right? You don't eat before praying. What are you doing? And so one day, I got the courage to ask him. I said, hey, why, why do you eat before you pray? And he said, well, well, look, I I, I don't... I don't want to thank God for the delicious food if I haven't actually tasted it first, right? He says, what if the food's terrible and I'm thanking God, God's going to call me a liar. I don't want to thank God for food that's going to taste bad, right? And I thought about this for a little bit. I thought, you know what? He's on to something here, right? He's on to something. It's a kind of foretaste. Now, don't do this today at Father's Day lunch when Grandpa's there. Grandpa will not think that's cool, okay? Don't try this one at home. But you get an idea. The, the confident 
Confidence, substantive confidence, is a kind of foretaste. Let me give another example, so this will maybe help some uh, others here. Uh, have, how many of y'all have seen the, the recent Star Wars movie trailer? Star Wars movie trailer fans? Come on, couple. Okay, like two of us. All right, yeah, that's fine. Here's the deal. In my home, when a new Star Wars movie trailer comes out, it's like, it's like Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving all in one, right? That's like a big deal for us. It's a, like a sacred moment. We all gather around the computer and we watch the new trailer, right? Now, now watch this. When you watch a trailer, what is happening? Well, you're being given a glimpse, a foretaste of what the movie is going to be all about, right? And that gives you confidence that when you go to the movie, you kind of know what's going to happen, right? Watching the trailer reassures me that in the end, the good guy is going to win. In this case, Ray is going to kick some Darth Vader bottom, right? That's what's going to happen. And so... Right? That, so we get a feel for that. Going and seeing the trailer gives me confidence that the movie will deliver on its promise. And if I'm going to spend $500 and stand in line with my movie to see Star Wars, I, I better be reassured the good guy's going to win. So here's how this works. I can have confidence in the movie that it will end and the good guy will win based on watching the trailer. In the same way, don't miss this, Faith is confidence that God is and will do what he says he will do based on his faithfulness in the past. Do we see this? This is fundamental to understanding Hebrews 11. Let me say that again. Faith is confidence that God is and will do what he says he will do based on his faithfulness in the past. Not based on closing my eyes, not based on a blind leap, not based on flexing my muscles. Based on looking at how God has been faithful in the past, that it might be the seed, the foretaste, the substance of my confidence that he will be faithful in the future. Okay, now this is some high up theology. Y'all tracking with me so far? Everyone on board? All right, here we go. So let me keep moving. Let me keep moving on this. So, this is why, this is why. Christian faith must always begin by engaging our minds. If at any point in your life you picked up the message, look, I've got to leave my brain at the door or I can't bring my questions to God, the author of Hebrews wants to challenge this. The author of Hebrews says, no, our faith begins by engaging our minds. And he starts by giving this first example, the example of Sarah. Now, if you're not familiar with Sarah, Sarah and Abraham were called by God to leave their hometown, Ur, and to go to a land that God would promise them. And God said, I'm going to bless you. Uh, you're going to be the parents of, of, of a nation. Your descendants are going to be so great, you're not even going to be able to count them. Uh, they're going to be like grains of the sand or stars in the sky. Right? That's the promise that God gave them. But here's the problem. Sarah's circumstances said, no way, ain't happening. She's a hundred years old. But look at what the author of Hebrews says Sarah did. By faith, by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she what? Considered him faithful who had made the promise. Do you see what's happening here? This is totally opposite the notion that my mind plays no role in my faith. What is Sarah's actual action of faith? Does she do anything? No. Sarah exercises faith first, excuse me, Sarah exercises faith first and foremost by thinking, by considering, 
by recalling God's faithfulness to her. See, a lot of us have bought into this idea that religious faith means believing or accepting something when there is no evidence. But this is precisely the opposite point of Hebrews chapter 11. Sarah seems to be suggesting that our, our exercising of our mind is an act of faith. Imagine this. Remember, think about Sarah. She, she and Abraham left their home for this promise. And God says, look, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide you. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to be okay. And they go on this journey to where, look, they, they don't have any neighbors. They don't have any family. And yet God has been providing for them every step of the way. And so when God's messenger comes and says, Sarah, you're going to conceive. You're going to have a child. What does she do? Well, she considers and she reflects on how God has been faithful to her thus far. And she says, well, it hasn't all been cake and roses, but God has been faithful to me thus far. I'm going to have faith that he will continue to be faithful to me. You see how this is working? Another example of this, this is is that kind of taste and see kind of faith, right? God isn't wanting us to be faith in a vacuum. He's saying, I want you to consider my goodness, consider my faithfulness. Uh, uh, Jesus' story that I just love, this comes from the Gospels. Uh, One time Jesus was coming down out of the mountains and we're told that a leper, you remember lepers had had skin diseases, they were to uh, uh, separate themselves from the rest of society. Well, this leper comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, 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 listen, hey, hey, if, if you're willing... If you're willing, Jesus, you can make me well. Now, what is it that would cause this leper to come out of the leper colony to come seek Jesus? Why is he just come, is, why is he coming to seek this healing? Well, because he's heard about Jesus' faithfulness to other lepers, right? Jesus has been going around healing, and he's heard about this. And he says, he, he says you know what? If Jesus can do that for them, then maybe, just maybe, he can do this for me. Is it perfect faith? No. It's what we call mustard seed faith, right? Jesus, I don't know if you'll do this. Maybe, just maybe. But if you're willing. And what does Jesus say? He says, I am willing. Go and be clean. You see, just like my friend who who, who tasted the food before giving thanks for it, just like the movie trailer that gives us a taste of what the movie is going to be all about, this man had tasted of God's goodness through the stories of other lepers that he knew, and it gave him enough faith to come seeking Jesus to say, Jesus, would you do the same for me? And that is how faith works. That's the kind of confidence that we can have when we taste of God's goodness in our lives. Faith is what you have when you know there is good reason to believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. To believe something when there is no good evidence, that is not faith, that is foolishness. God calls us to a reasonable faith, a taste and see faith, a confident, substantive kind of faith. Now I was thinking about this in my own life, something that I could... Uh, a story I could share just to encourage you guys. And I was really thinking about one of the most profound moments in my life when I encountered this kind of Sarah-like stopping and reflecting moment was right before moving to North Carolina. Uh, I've told many stories about this. I don't know if I've ever told this one, but we had already planned our summer vacation up the West Coast to Oregon long before I'd ever applied for the job at Lake Forest. And it just so happened that uh, that our little vacation was the week right up before we had to move, right up before we had to leave Los Angeles. And I remember I had said yes to this job, and I, and I remember driving up the West Coast thinking, oh, dear Lord, what have I said yes to, right? Like, you ever had that kind of feeling? 
I didn't know how great y'all were going to be yet. So I was a little bit scared, right? So, so here we are. We're in the RV and we're going up the coast. And, and I don't remember. We were, um, we were camping somewhere in like Oakland in some redwood forest. And I remember I just had this panic moment. I thought, God, what, what if this doesn't work out? Like, what if you don't show up? What if we try to plant this church and I'll go, you know, like, what, what then, God? And I remember literally sitting in the middle of the night, I, I don't know, three, four in the morning, in the front seat of our RV with my little journal. And I just started listing all the moments I could think of in my life when God has been faithful to me. Have you ever done something like this? The big ones, the small ones. Like the time I, I, I had spinal meningitis and I thought, oh my Lord, I'm going to leave my family destined without a dad and my kids are going to... And yet God brought healing in that. I don't even know how he did, right? The, the financial times when things just didn't seem like they were going to work out and yet God, God came through. The people God had put in my life around me, my church family, all the ways God had been faithful, I listed those. And you know what began to happen? I tasted the food. It started to grow faith in me and I suddenly had the faith I needed to take the next step of obedience he was calling me to. Do you see the kind of faith the preacher of Hebrews is inviting us to? Now, I don't know where you find yourself on your spiritual journey today. Maybe you've always thought that being a Christian meant pretending that you don't have any questions. Or maybe like Sarah, there's like this conflict between God's promise and your circumstances. You're like, God, I do not know how you're going to work that out. Or maybe you're like me and there's a step in front of you. You know God's calling you to take and you're, God, are you going to be faithful in this if I take this step? I don't know where you're at today, but here's what I do know as we begin this journey this summer together. Here's what I'm confident of. I'm confident of this. God isn't asking us to have faith in a vacuum, to close our eyes and jump, or to try and flex our magical faith muscles. He simply wants us to reflect on his faithfulness in our lives in the past and let that grow in us a greater faith for the future. Which is exactly how the preacher in Hebrews puts it here when he says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He initiated it. It's his faithfulness. He will help grow it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, see, here's our mind, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So today, as we just kind of embark on this journey, as as we begin this summer together, as we close in prayer today, I simply want to give you a moment to reflect. Three questions. How has God been faithful to you? How has he been faithful to you? Is there a place in your life today where it seems difficult to trust his faithfulness? And how might his past faithfulness give you courage to trust him in this next step? Can we pray?